is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has come up with something called the Green New Deal. Never in our history have the interests of all Americans been so united. Well, if the, if the Green New Deal took hold, our, I think our grid would stop. It sounds like a high school term paper that got a low mark. Why not have an aspirational goal? I've read it and I've reread it, and I asked Ed Markey, what in the, what in the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and now, Stacey Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Even Democrats are like, the Green New Deal, I looked it over. What is this? <laughs> I love it. I think it's an appropriate question. The only pr- issue we have is who can answer it because no one who seems to be affiliated with the Green New Deal has any idea what it's really about or how it gets done, who pays for it, et cetera. All of the important questions that we often will ask, you know, responsible people ask, who's paying for that? Um, it's your idea. Who will implement it? How will you implement it? And what about unintended consequences? And also, what about the fact that you're talking about people and people are going to people, which means <laughs> probably not going to have full compliance. Welcome to the show today. It is a fantastic day to be making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And we're so grateful for you being here today. And I have so much to discuss with you. But first, who's on the show So excited to be speaking to Joel Smidgel. He is the author of Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. And so first of all, you guys remember, you you must remember when we discussed uh, the in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Well, that the author of that book is one of the pastors and also founders of of this wonderful thing that's going on in Washington, D.C., the D.C. Dream Center. And that is where Joel is the executive pastor of National Community Church in D.C. He oversees the pastoral staff of NCC's seven locations. He pastors the Capitol Hill location. And he founded and now serves as the president of the board of the D.C. Dream Center, a community center committed to inspiring and equipping youth and adults to reach their God-given potential. I can't wait to speak to him today about this book, Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. I love the topic of strengthening marriages and encouraging each other in that uh, endeavor and just being really excited about uh, what we can do for marriage. If you're married, you know how hard of a job it is, but it's the best hard job you're ever going to do well if you really commit yourself to it. And so this will be a really great interview for us today. Uh, A great way for us to kind of smooth on down the road. It's the weather. You guys know what you you know what's afflicting me, the weather, Uh, which segues over into our next subject. So I have a programming note. Remember earlier in the week when I was bouncing off the walls because I was going to D.C.? Well, that went spectacularly poorly. And I want to share with you exactly how this all went down. So first of all, I thought I wasn't invited to the White House Black History Month reception, and I was all miffed about it. And then I looked in my email because I got a second. Basically, they pinged everybody who hadn't replied. And when I saw that, I combed through my emails and found that I had indeed been invited again this year. And so I was like, "Ooh, you know how it is when you think you weren't invited, but then you realize you were. You're like, woohoo, I was invited originally. That's awesome. So I RSVP'd yes, and I started making plans to go. So I'd booked a flight to leave this afternoon, and I got a text message early yesterday saying that that flight was canceled. So I called over to Southwest and I said, you know, what's going on? And she said three to six inches, which David Almasi from Project 21 had already sent over an email saying we're expecting three to six inches. 
uh, just be warned, bring your, you know, bring, bring comfortable snow safe shoes for walking around while you're here. And I thought, Ooh, you know, how am I going to make that work? And I decided obviously on cowgirl boots, cause that's the only answer. And then onward, I, I get on the phone with Southwest. She rebooks me to a 1220 for today. While we're talking, the 1220 is canceled. So she rebooks me into a 9am for this morning. It would actually be leaving, I think here in leaving St. Louis at 9am. So she not only books me onto that one, but checks me in because it's less than 24 hours before it's supposed to happen. This is yesterday afternoon and everything seems like it's fine. And then I start getting this feeling like this isn't going to happen. And so my mom and my dad and my sister all in this little text group, it's like my immediate, my old immediate family text group with my mom, my dad, my sister. So they all live in the DC metro area and they're texting me updates about what the weather forecast is. And as the day progresses, like each hour, I get a new text from them saying, well, now they've increased the amount of inches expected. Now they're saying it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And the Southwest operator had warned me, look, you know what, girl, you, you might see more flights canceled, but just make sure and do what you did. Call back in real quick because we should be able to get you in. But here's what I knew going into that. I was flying in today because I couldn't fly in the morning of, because y'all know I like a 12-hour turnaround. I like to fly to D.C. on the 9 a.m. direct flight from St. Louis, spend the day in D.C., do whatever I'm going to do at the White House, and then get on the last thing smoking that's a direct flight out of D.C.A., coming back here to St. Louis. And so I'm back. Like, it's literally like I haven't really left because the only people who noticed that I was gone are the kids and my husband because I'm not there when they get home from whatever they're doing because they, I'm always the one who's here. So I'll be the, one, the last one to arrive at the house that evening. So I still had my direct flight for the return, which was not canceled, but the trip there was canceled. And so last night, we're sitting on the couch. We've got you know dinners out of the way. Everybody's just chilling out. And my phone was charging over in the kitchen, and I heard a text message come through. And I turned to my husband, and I said, my flight's been canceled. The trip's off. And he said, how do you know? I said, I just, and my daughter was like, let me check. So she jumps up, runs over and looks, and she's like, mom, your flight was canceled. You were right. So tomorrow, I don't know if they're having the, the Black History Month reception, if that is still on. As far as I know it is, because I haven't seen any cancellation emails. But I will not be there because I could not leave St. Louis to get there because they've canceled so many flights on Southwest to get from here to there. Um, they've also closed the government for today. And so the good news is I will be in DC next week broadcasting from CPAC, weather permitting. Um, so that'll be something fun that I'll get to still partake in, but the White House Black History Month reception and the Economic Empowerment Summit that was a little bit before that, that I was also invited to, I will not be able to attend those. So I'm hoping that someone maybe that's local to DC that's still going to get to go to those can kind of give me the skinny on what happened, but it obviously wasn't meant to be. And that's okay. I, I was, I, okay, fine. I'll admit it. I was miffed. I was, <laughs> I was totally miffed, but I've moved on. Um, so many other things to try to get done. I don't have time to sit around and think about that any longer. Uh, so now I want to pivot over to something interesting. This is a bit of a historical look back. It's like throwback. Is today Wednesday? I have no, I don't even know what today is. Okay. Yeah. Today's Wednesday. So it's like a throwback Thursday on a Wednesday for Bernie Sanders. Now, this is the kind of stuff that, so first of all, I want to, full disclosure, I am disturbed by the amount of gloating he's doing about how he's been able to get Democrats to take extreme positions on everything just because he ran on those and got 40% of the vote. It's not so much that they think his ideas will work. They know they won't, but they want some of that popularity. They want some of his juice. So they think saying extreme things will get them the juice. So that's what they're doing. 
But how extreme are they willing to get in order to be on his boat, his little raft, his little, you know, makeshift canoe slash mini arc that he set up for himself to go off into the nether regions and just, you know, be crazy on his own. He's taken a whole bunch of folks with him. Well, how crazy do you think they want to get? This is when looking back, you know, YouTube's forever is so awesome. Bernie Sanders said bread lines are a good thing. Now, I want you to listen to what he's saying and follow the logic through. It's number three. Okay, so not sure what's going on there, but um, I don't hear anything. So, and I'm not sure if that's because uh, I'm the only one who can't hear it or what, but he's talking about how when in, in foreign countries where there were bread lines, everyone always points to the fact that bread lines are a bad thing because it indicates that people can't feed themselves. But he looks at it differently and says that bread lines are actually a good thing because it means that rich people aren't hoarding all of the food, that the government has some of the food and the government can give some of that food to the people. Therefore, a breadline is a sign of a government that's working well because it can feed its own people. Now, that is an absolutely ludicrous concept because why would you want to be in a position where you had to wait in line for bread? He's ignoring the fact that all you're getting is bread. You're not getting anything else. Um, and, and when I say you're not getting anything else, is that all you want? Like, so it depends on your perspective. If you're the kind of person who feels like just having bread is enough and bread will do and that's it, then maybe Bernie Sanders bread lines sound like a good thing to you. But usually when there are bread lines, there are also cutoff points where if you show up too late, all the bread's gone and it's not like they're continually replenishing it as is what's going on in the, in the market where we currently live capitalism, it means Tuesday and Thursday, there's a truck at every grocery store, uh, you know, and, and it's not because the government sent those trucks. It's because people are buying things and the economy is moving and the chain, the supply chain is working and businesses are turning a profit. And so they can make sure that there's gas in those trucks and there's people to drive them and the trucks are properly maintained and that there's actual bread from factories, fresh baked to go into those trucks and that the the bread's been inspected by FDA inspectors and private inspectors. And there's labels on there to let you know when the bread is going to be best buy and, and, and the bread's labeled with pricing tags and everything. And it's going to go to every place where there's, you know, not enough bread. And then people can go in and buy the bread and they have enough money to do that. And people who have extra are already doing philanthropic things to make sure that free bread is being provided to locations that house people who maybe don't have the ability to get it. Like, um, I don't know, uh, homeless shelters, uh, orphanages, um, you know, the, the kinds of places where we as Americans, we provide that stuff in the private sector, regardless of what the government does. So it looks like we had a little uh, glitch up with that. But right now you can hear Bernie Sanders talking about this and it, and it is extreme. It's number two, three, number three. You know, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. So first of all, isn't that what's happening in Venezuela right now? In Venezuela, rich people still have food. Um, rich people and people who are connected to the current regime with Maduro, they are, they're not only still having food, they're, they're, they're plump like me. They, they have, they've had plenty to eat. They don't look like they're missing any meals. They've got baby arms like I've got. They've, they've got the whole thing going on. So if, <laughs> if, if what he says is true, how does he explain what's going on with, with the regime and the people in Venezuela? Well, 
Oh, I forgot. He doesn't. This guy doesn't explain that because anything that goes against his democratic socialist ideals is simply jettisoned and out the door. He doesn't have to listen to that. Right. So speaking of extreme policies, we were, I was just giggling and laughing about the Green New Deal. And I hope you're giggling and laughing at it, too. The only thing about it we have to take seriously is that if the Democrats ever get control of all three parts of government, specifically the presidency, but all three parts you know, generally speaking, they'll try to push as much of it through as they can because they're bent on destroying the capitalistic system that we enjoy. Remember the interview from yesterday with our good friend? Um, we actually spoke with uh, Justin Danhoff of National Center and Free Enterprise Institute. And this, this is a continuing theme. It's not something that people are making up. It's the truth. Now I want to pivot over to this Green New Deal, talking and listening to it. Now, I don't usually have everybody included in the audio, but this one is interesting because you've got Morning Joe, Morning Mika, um, Durbin, and they're all on the, the program talking about the Green New Deal, and they start to chuckle about it. Just, just to let you know, it's not just Republicans laughing at this Green New Deal. They're laughing at it, too. It's number one. I've read it, and I've reread it, and I asked Ed Markey, what in the heck? What in the heck is this? <laughs> you sound like Nancy. <laughs> he says it is an aspiration. Uh-huh. You know, okay, it's, well, it's, you it's, don't vote for aspirations. It's a, resolu- it's a resolution aspiration. Right. What we're going to do is ask uh, the Republican leader, what's your position on global warming while we're at it? Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't you come out on the record and tell us whether you believe that man-made right. act- man, uh, human activity right. uh, is having an impact on our environment? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get on the record on Come both sides. But you well, wouldn't okay. vote for it in its current form. And I'm going to take a look, Willie. I haven't read You've taken a look. Please. What do you think? Uh, I did. It's long. That's what I think. <laughs> he tried to tip his At the end, I look for in their wherefore, and, and there's no wherefore involved in it. Okay, but so you, you wouldn't. I will tell you, I certainly agree with the premise. Global warming is a threat right. to the planet yeah, we right. live on, and we're not doing enough. We should do more. <laughs> he believes in the premise, but he doesn't see the wherefore. That's some audio we should save. <laughs> Republicans should be running on that audio the next time he's up for election. Anyway, all right, when we get back, we're going to have our guest, Joel Smidgel, with us. He's going to be fantastic. You stay right there. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, on our spiritual heritage tour of Washington, D.C., we go to the Supreme Court. That's one of the places we go on, on day one, and we visit the inside chambers. We go to where the justices sit, and it's an amazing place to visit, the Supreme Court of the United States. We don't just look at the outside. We go to the inside and see where the justices sit and where oral arguments are heard. So that's just one of the places we visit on one of the days. We're in Washington, D.C., and we also go to Mount Vernon, the home of George and Martha Washington. So we're going in September. June's full. September will be filling up soon. If you want more information on this Spiritual Heritage Tour, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com.
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Now, I must admit, I have a love in my life. I love to play golf, but golf can be a very humbling game. The other day, I hit several great shots in a row. Then all of a sudden, reality came crashing down on me. I hit the ball in all different directions, and as they say, the wheels just came off. I remember muttering to myself as I walked down the fairway after another erring shot, Crawford, you just can't stand success. You just can't handle it. There's a lot of truth to the observation that it is more difficult to handle prosperity than it is to handle poverty. It's harder and more difficult to handle success. Difficult to handle things when they're going well for you than it is to handle poverty and neediness and the fact that you don't have. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15, Moses warned the people before they entered the promised land, For Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. What sobering words. He got fat. He got sleek. Sometimes you're looking good. You're successful. You're not struggling anymore. What happens is when you think you got there because of your own ability, you forget God. We should remind ourselves often of what God has done for us. Don't stop trusting God no matter what. When we remember where we came from, it fuels our faith to keep moving. Always remember, no matter where we are, we have a long way to go. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Success is a gift from God and is given to honor Him, not to make a statement about us. Like mediocre golf players, we're just as needed today as we've always been. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's now my pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure to welcome Joel and Nina. So Joel and Nina are an amazing couple. They're doing some really fantastic work in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and, and it's my pleasure to welcome them both to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I, I so I know all about your snow cancellations. Last night I was getting updates from my mom as if I had kids in the area because I was supposed to be there right now. So how are you guys holding up with all the snow? How many inches did you get? You know, it's it's really slushy outside. They uh, they cancel school if there's even a threat of snow. So, uh, yeah, we, we got the kids at home today, and, and uh, it's a little crazy town here, but the, the, everything shuts down, and the bread aisles are empty, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's just like here. We have the same thing. Well, actually, we got a couple of inches, but ours is much looser. It's like snow rain, so no school was canceled that I know of. My kids went gotcha. to school today, but it was definitely like, so they were canceling flights, but not out of here. It was mainly flying into your area where they were canceling okay. flights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this. You've written a book called Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. Why did you write it? Yeah, we, um, well, we've been working for a couple of decades uh, in church ministry and working with families, working with couples. And so we've been walking with couples, and that's engaged couples, dating couples, that's couples who are married for a few years, and those who are even uh, entering 
that empty nest stage. And so I think over these decades, we've just seen the need in relationship. Um, the more and more individual, individualistic our society gets, um, the, the harder it is to truly live out covenantal relationship in the Scripture. And so we have seen the power of prayer and the power of bold prayers in our lives individually. And so um, I think a conviction for us is, man, we've got to take the greatest spiritual tool we have and we need to apply it to the most sacred relationship we have on this earth with other humans. So I love when you say most sacred relationship because the marriage relationship, the covenant of marriage actually replicates the Godhead, three persons in one. It's the husband, the wife, and God who create a covenant together, a lifelong mm -hmm. covenant. And the fact that God would model marriage after his own person is to me an indication of how important marriage is, how foundational it is to building families and strong societies, mm -hmm. et cetera. How do you uh, express that to people to get them to see marriage as more than just a legal contract or a way to get tax breaks or a way to quote unquote, start a family? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a couple of thoughts. One, um, you remember in the scriptures where, uh, where we're told that where two or three gather in my name, I am there. And it's as you express the Trinity, the Godhead, it's almost as though God is saying, I'm looking around and where I see something that looks like me, I'm going to go there. And, uh, and we see how serious he takes reconciliation. So the context of that scripture is when, when we are incongruent, when we're fighting with one another, if we're willing to take a step towards the other person, it's God saying, if you're willing to do that, I'm going to show up every time. Yeah. And so he says, when you gather together, when you come together, I will be there. And that's what it says in the Old Testament scriptures as well, that a cord of two strands is strong, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So this element, when you make a covenant with God, you know, when you stand before one another and give your vows, you're not making those vows to the officiant or to your friends or family or your weird uncle. You're making it to each other and to God, and this is this beautiful covenant that we have, and it really is a picture of the kingdom of God uh, when we covenant with one another. And um, yeah, one of the you know one of the things that we often say is that marriage is the relationship with the great or the relationship with the greatest proximity, and we know that God uses relationships to refine us, right? And so um, certainly that is His plan and purpose in that in that in the sacred covenant of, of marriage. And it's also the place where he, um, y you know, you said it exactly right. It, it really is a picture of his covenantal relationship with us. You know, in my own story, that's one of the most beautiful parts of, of our marriage is that is um, the way that, that God has revealed himself to me and, and, and helps me understand his, um, his character and come to understanding of that commitment in a way that I might not have um, understood just from my own history or upbringing. Um, and, and, you know, you get pictures of that, glimpses of that, and I think that is something that God does intend. But I love that you referenced that, the, that we use the word sacred relationship because, you know, one of our prayers, the, the last chapter in the book, The Legacy Circle, um, is really about, it's a, it's a hope that couples would, would zoom out and dream um, generationally for the impact of their marriage, that they would, they would see and, and believe and even be engaging in, in their, their marriage relationship every day in a way that has a 
a legacy mindset, a generational mindset, and um, sees the work that, that God has to do for beyond just today and every day in their marriage, but, but has to use their marriage for generational impact. Mm. So I, I believe in the general uh, generational impact of marriage. I really do. I think a lot of times, especially over the past, I'd say maybe 30 years or so, since the sexual revolution, people discounted the fact that their parents were married to each other in a lifelong covenant, their grandparents were married to each mm-hmm. other, and they discounted what a role that played in the success of their family, in the, the longevity of their family, the ability of their family to endure hardships. And now we see the, the result of that is the cracks in the marital union as something that's held up as a, a you know, a, a archetype, something that we admire and aspire to has resulted in, you know, a 40% out of wedlock birth rate and a mm-hmm. lot of people being really disillusioned with something that hasn't changed. Marriage has not changed. God's covenant with us in marriage hasn't changed. The way we look at marriage and the way we respect it has changed. How can praying over our marriages you know, change that situation around for us as a society? Well, first, I just like that you pointed out that I, I don't think it's only, it, you know, it, it definitely is people's understanding of or um, experience of, of longevity in marriage. You know, there just aren't, a, you know, and we, we have a lot of young adults, you know, in our community and in our church, DC is a lot of young professionals, and that is for sure their experience. They're looking around saying, I don't even, I don't even see what this is that you're talking about, but there's a lot of other factors too. I mean, we are, um, you know, we mentioned in the book that we, the, that the impacts, the implications of us being a throw it out culture and, and, you know, when something, even technology, even expensive things, when they don't work rather than fixing them or, or working to improve them, we kind of toss them and move on. And certainly we're going to carry those perceptions into our relationship with the Lord if, you know, if, if things are, um, you know, rather than believing for redeeming work, it's, it's hard to see that if that's not kind of the, the relationships that you see around you or the life that you live every day. Um, so we hope to call, call people back to that. And we believe that that prayer is, one of, is you know, the way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the, the um, has the greatest opportunity for transformation is inviting the Lord into your story, inviting him to be, you know, the hero in your circumstances. And, and, you know, one of the ways that we say it is that um, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. It gives him the chance to show what he is, is capable of. Yeah. And, you know, covenant is hard work, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, this is not an easy thing, marriage. It's a beautiful thing. It's a purposeful thing. It's not an easy thing. And, but it's one of our greatest callings in life. And, and here's the reality for me, you know, in our marriage, um, my problem is that I'm right 99% of the time. <laughs> and, but here's the other problem. Nina's right 99% of the time too. And so that, that math just doesn't add up. And I need the Holy Spirit, because prayer is prayer. You know, prayer doesn't do anything magical in and of itself, but prayer is our connection to God. It's our coming to the Lord and submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves unto Him on a regular basis. I have to, I don't know how people survive in marriage without prayer, because those are the times when the Lord breaks me down, when I feel like I'm right and she's wrong or she's going the wrong direction. It's when my knees hit the ground that humility hits my heart, and that's a gift to me. I need the Holy Spirit to come into my life, and 
you know, Jesus breaks it down. He, he takes 613 Old Testament commandments, and he says, here's the things, here's the summation of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And it's the second portion of that. How do we love God? By loving our neighbor. Who's our closest neighbor? I wake up in the morning and six inches away from me is my beautiful <laughs> wife. And that's my... That's one of I'm my not greatest. that beautiful in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's the descriptor that matters. But, uh, but He's describing it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. okay, let, let's let's kind of unpack. And it's this is a bit of a difficult subject, but I love it because I believe there's so much freedom. And as you said, you you you've articulated it perfectly. If, if you take something away from this interview, it's that God wants us to be absolutely expecting him to do great things when we pray and that we the the key here is that we pray about all of these things in our marriage specifically which is why you guys wrote the book that's why you have it out there to encourage people to pray over this super important it's like if you're married this is probably the most important job you have um maintaining your marriage and and praying over it and then of course you have to work you have to pay bills you have to eat but so much easier to do those things if your marriage is functional and operating within what God has for us. So uh, this this question's for you, I, Nina. I'm 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 a proponent of the traditional method. Well, it's really it's biblical, which is someone's got to be in charge at your house, just like you don't have a workplace where everyone's in charge. Someone has to mm-hmm. be in charge in your home, and God has laid out a plan for us in which the man is the head of the household, the husband is the head of the house. And the woman is respected and loved by her husband, but she shows respect to her husband by submitting to him. This is a very unpopular concept in today's culture. And any woman who says they're submitted to their husband is automatically thought to be some kind of a doormat. But then on the other hand, if you're a strong, assertive person and you hold beliefs, people will say, well, I wonder what your husband must go through. I, I, I get that a lot in my email box when people disagree <laughs> with me. And I think to myself, well, you can't think that the way that I am on the radio is how I am with my husband. This is my job. When I'm with my husband, it's a completely different mm-hmm. aspect because he is the head of our household. And I see that and operate in that way because that's where I find that God blesses me. I've tried the other way. I tried the world's way of being married and being co-head with my husband and you know everything, every decision is the two of us and all that. And it didn't work. And so submitting to him opened up a whole, it's like um, you know, for us shoppers, it's like walking into a mall and finding that the boot store you've always dreamed of is right there ahead of you. And it's a 50% off sale. That's the kind of blessings I've been walking mm-hmm. in since I said, I'm going to do it your way. Yeah. Can you talk a little about that, the submitted wife and, and what that can bring to people? Well, first I'm just laughing because you and Joel must be kind of the, the same cloth of liking uncomfortable conversations. Cause when we walk with couples in premarital counseling, he loves this conversation too. <laughs> um, um, just because I think it, it's, it's kind of become a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a bad word or an uncomfortable word, the idea of submission. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just say that that so many lessons that we learn about, you know, um, even understanding what it means to be submitted to the Lord um, and the blessings and benefits that come from, from laying down of, of self in that way and trusting um, and, and marriage is an incredible place to practice that. It's funny, I just was talking with our <laughs> kids today about, um, about you know, as you work out things in our family, and, and it, it, is a, it is a perfect kind of practice ground for what it is to, to work out the things in our own heart 
and other relationships. And so um, first I would just say on the practical level that I think um, just even wrestling with the idea of why submission is so um, scary and so, you know, and, and we know some reasons why, because culturally there have been misuses of that for women, um, not just within marriage, but culturally. And so I think that that has, has really kind of raised um, some just, you know, a feeling of uncomfortability with that. But but I, like you, I think I've just experienced, and it, you know, the the beauty of um, mutual submission and, and, you know, the the... Um, the scriptures are, you know, I, I think it's people forget that when we, what we are being called to as women, when men are being called um, to, to love as Christ loved the church, which is the ultimate sacrifice, right? It kind of feels like we got off a little bit easy, easy on that. But I mean, I, I like that you press in on these areas because I think as women, it, it, we do need to wrestle with why it makes us so uncomfortable, um, and I and I wonder if I'm allowed to jump in on this. No, but uh, I feel like you should um, jump in if you want I, to. You know <laughs> that the scripture in Ephesians five it does start with that mutual submission. You know, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, and it is submission's a, a cuss word at this point. You know, <laughs> when you talk about that, it's just because it's been wrangled and means so many different things to so many different people, and has been abused over time. But you know, it's interesting to me because at the heart of it, it means to yield. So, you know, we think about it in terms of how people drive in D.C. There are yield points in the city in your car. If you don't yield in those moments, um, you're, you're going to crash. And that's what we found that happens in marriages that don't practice submission or yielding to one another. Um, and it's not just a yielding, oh, here, you go first, or here, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. It's a yielding to one another out of reverence for Christ. So ultimately, you know... We are saying God in this triangle, God is um, the one that we are following. And so, yes, Nina might play one role. I might play another role. And But can I just give a quick example? Um, my parents... Actually, um, we are going to run out me. of time here. We're going to... I hear the music. But what we can do is okay. if you're willing to hold over, I, w- I would love to have you finish that thought. Um, and and if, if time permits, you can just hold through the break and then we'll come back and you'll have a chance to finish that and we can kind of wrap the interview up naturally instead of being subservient to the awful clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so we're going to hold on. We have fantastic things for you right after this break. You keep it here. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. In 1935, before football helmets had face masks, Don Hudson was helping to create the modern game of football. Back then, teams almost never threw the forward pass. But Don Hudson was so fast with such brilliant hands, he practically invented the position of wide receiver. He developed the routes and techniques that are still being used by receivers in the league today. His 99 career touchdown receptions remain an unbroken league record until 1989, more than 40 years after he retired. Don Hudson was an uncommon talent who did his own thing and forever changed the way the game is played. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Pastor D. The Back to God movement always reminds people that we got to know who we are and whose we are. And we are children of the Most High God. Made in His image and likeness. That's what Genesis 1.26 says. Made in His image and likeness. So that means if Yeshua could walk on water, guess what? We can too. Each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk, nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. Securing America. During the day, Antelope Wells border station in New Mexico was fairly calm. Border Patrol comes across their share of illegal crossings from Mexico into the U.S. But as of late, that number is on the rise. There's uh, ground sensors that are placed strategically. So we, there is a sensor activation, we have to go investigate. Border Patrol agents say this particular crossing has encountered at least 28 groups of 100 or more migrants illegally crossing into the U.S. Border Patrol agent Romero Cordero says Mexican smugglers are trying to overwhelm this facility so they can hide illegal activity. They think they're saturating uh, the agents that are working in this area by bringing large groups of people who are turning themselves in. Since October 1st, Border Patrol has apprehended about 5,000 migrants illegally crossing the border in large groups, including 330 Central Americans who were apprehended here Monday. In Antelope Wells, New Mexico, Charles Watson, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today and making your home on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I am chatting with Joel and Nina Smidgel. They are the authors of Praying Circles Around Your Marriage, and they have an amazing ministry at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and they're also, uh, uh, Joel is on the president of the board of the D.C. Dream Center. We've been talking about marriage and prayer and the covenant relationship, and we even went into the no-go zone of submission. And as we get back into the interview, I just want to give, when, when I talk about submission, I often will mention the fact that God calls the woman the helper to the man. And in the Bible, the helper is to succor as to aid, help, and give assistance, particularly assistance that relieves and delivers from difficulty, want, or distress, because God saw that Adam was the only one of his creation who did not have a matched set. He didn't have a mate. And so he created women to satisfy that need. But women are even more important than other you know, uh, parts of God's creation because we're creating God's image. Women contribute a source of strength and protection for men, we are an essential ingredient to the well-being of men and the prosperity of the kingdom of God. And we are called the helper, which there is someone else who is called the helper in the Bible, and that's the Holy Spirit, our shield and helper, our glorious sword. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. So it's an honor for us as women 
to submit to men, to, to our husbands specifically, knowing that we are the helper, knowing that we are called to the same type of work that God does on our behalf, it's an amazing high calling. And instead of seeing it as something negative that would uh, bring pain or suffering to us, we have to see it in the vein in which it was created, which is that it is, it is a supreme honor to be able to submit to our husbands and to protect them and be their shield and covering as God is our shield and covering and protector. Uh, so Joel and Nina, thank you so much for staying with us. And, and you were going into, you were just about to, to expound on a topic. I want to give you a chance to finish that up. And then we could maybe talk just a little bit more before we have to go out of this segment. Yeah, that's great. I was, I was just going to share um, a brief story about my parents because they really played out this kind of traditional view of marriage that we're talking about. But um, it was never a, a domineering type of relationship in any aspect of the word. And I think the other side of, of this is um, what does leading look like? And I was going to talk about that just for a second. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, leading in the scripture, there's not all that much about leadership that's given by Jesus, except for things like, if you want to be first, then you should be last. Or I did not come to serve, but I came to, or I did not come to be served, but to, to, um, to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And the most offensive way that Jesus led was when at the, at the last supper, he stepped out of his role, what they thought he should be doing. And he got down low and he humbled himself. And so a key to this I think part of the marriage that, that my dad really played out in front of us was the way that he was constantly laying down his life for his wife and for his family. And that changed then the dynamic of how my mom saw submission. And so it was really this beautiful relationship. In a very practical level, um, how they made decisions was they would both go to their prayer closet and they believed that God would give them each a word and they would come back together. If that word was not congruent they would go back to their prayer closets again until they kind of mashed up. And there was a few instances where my mom would say, you know what, I'm just going to lean into you and, uh, and trust, you know, the Lord to give you wisdom. But it was really this beautiful symbiotic relationship where they, they had their unique roles, but they were constantly putting the other person first. So I just think the, the application and execution of this concept is critical to our understanding because of the abuses that have happened over time. Sure. Um, and there, there are instances in which, you know, I'm not talking about submission in abusive uh, relationships or anything like that, but I, I am speaking of in the traditional context of marriage, um, when, when the wife is in the proper role of submission to her husband, which is not a, a form of weakness, it's a form of strength, mm -hmm. then God is able to bless that union and do such amazing things. And I'm speaking from my own experience as a very strong-willed person. I was on active duty in the military. Mm -hmm. I shot marksmen. I'm very, very loquacious, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when, when people talk about women speaking 50,000 words a day, that's my threshold for the day. I probably hit that at noon. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I'm a handful for my husband. But Are you when a sister? I, I, I might be, we might be related about what you speak. <laughs> yeah. So you, you guys, you're, you're, we're on the same page here, but there was, there was a time where I really thought my marriage was fantastic. And a friend of mine, because I'd been praying about being in a Bible study, and a friend of mine said, oh, we're going to do this Bible study called Cry of the Hidden Heart. And I said, oh, is it for people with problems? She said, nope, nope, not for people with problems. It's like my third time going through. You'll love it. 
I said, well, my marriage is pretty great. She said, oh, yeah, we all think that until we do the cry of the hidden heart. And I was like, oh. So I, I, it was almost a challenge for me. I'm like, my marriage will be fine after this as well. I'm going to do this Bible study and show these people what they're talking about. I got in and I began to realize how I was really fighting against God's plan for my marriage, not intentionally and not in a way that you know, was destroying my marriage, but definitely was blocking some blessings. And now that I've done that Bible study and it's been some years and I've even gone through it again, it's, it's something that I, it's like a marriage tune up for me. I do it. It's geared towards women. It's, it, there's nothing in there that is an activity for the man to do. It's, it's women studying God's word to learn what he has for us in marriage. And I've come out of it feeling far more powerful than I did ever in the course of my marriage when I was more domineering and demanding of this and that, I've actually come to know the strength of the, the Bible talks about the quiet spirit and how women can be beautiful because of their quiet spirit and mm. all kinds of different attributes that women have that are really frowned upon and mocked in today's society. But when a Christian woman assumes these roles and, and takes on the mantle of Christian womanhood and Christian wifehood, there is not just freedom, but there's ultimately so much power and deliverance in that. And the blessings ripple outward from a submitted wife to her husband and the children and even other relationships that she can have, whether it's her employer or other friends that you have, other couples that you know. It is such an amazing thing to be able to basically take what the world has completely it's just twisted the idea of a, of a traditional marriage, a, a biblical marriage, and you take that twisted, horrible, it's a nasty reputation, and you peel all of that away and shine God's word on it, and all of a sudden, you can see what a gem God has for us. He has this amazing, he, he only wants to bless us. He only wants to see us prosper mm -hmm. and live abundantly, and so it's, it's amazing when I see that, and I, I love the fact that the two of you wrote the book together, because writing a book... Wow. <laughs> I haven't been able to finish one. I've been working on one for like five years now. I still haven't finished it. And so you guys work <laughs> together on this. So that's two people who that's live right. together also working on a book. So you're an example of miracles that, that happen. God, <laughs> God does. I'm telling you. And so I can't wait. I'm, I'm putting this on my list for, for this year for me to read. And um, I just, I wanted to thank you again for holding over. And is there anything else you wanted to share about the book or, or your ministry or anything um, with the listeners yeah, I, I think one of our, I think a big piece of this for us is how can we just encourage, push wherever you're at in your prayer life, and you might pray for, you might pray with, but, but wherever you're at, what's that next step for you? So if you would just consider, what if you just started praying for your spouse once a week? What if that's your starting place? Maybe you're there, maybe it's praying with them once a week, or maybe it's, you know, even more often than that. But I think one of our goals is just take that next step. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you don't have to take the whole staircase of faith at one time. You just take one step at a time. And so um, that's our prayer over all marriages. Um, if you just get on the right path, get on the road, uh, repentance is a turning around and going in the right direction. So just get on the right path and take a simple step towards each other. Well, and similar to how you mentioned with, with, uh, with that book, The Cry of the Hidden Heart, I think you know, I think one of our fears, or mine maybe, is that, that when, when individuals would think about this book or couples think about this book, they would think, oh, it's some prescription of prayer, some, you know, um, or, or I pray, I pray, our marriage is fine, or I, my prayer life is fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but believing that what if, what if you, um, 
either some of the kind of persistent disagreement or either that God might actually reveal the first chapter is the vision chapter. Like, what if God has more to reveal to you about his plans and purposes to use your marriage? So just what, what if you could believe um, for more, invite the Lord into to your marriage in a new way? So we believe there's something for every couple, couples that are maybe struggling a little more, and then couples that are at an incredible place and just believe the Lord might have a little more. Mm. I'm, I can't wait to see what happens when people dig into your book and start praying over their marriage in a different way. And, and so I, I always encourage people, whatever, like, so you hear, I talk about hidden heart ministries and cry the hidden heart a lot, but people are searching for things they can do with their spouse or things that, you know, are geared towards both of both parts of the marriage. So, Mm -hmm. um, your book satisfies that need. And I think one of the things that, that people kind of think is, well, if I'm not praying every single week when I set that goal. That's not how God works. If you set in your Mm -hmm. heart that you want to start praying for your marriage and let's say, you know, you get Joel and Nina's book and you start praying and you're not meeting your once a week goal, but you're doing more than you were before you heard this interview, before you knew about the book. So Mm -hmm. that is what God is looking at. He's looking at your heart. What, what are you, what are you purposing to do? Are you purposing to, to improve your marriage through prayer, through seeking, you know, God's face? that is going to move the heart of God and you're going to see yeah. results. So just yeah. do it. Don't, don't think about mm-hmm. it any further. If you're listening right now, it's not by accident. You didn't just turn on the, the radio in the car for nothing. Get the mm-hmm. book. It's called Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. Let me make sure I'm getting, getting that yeah, right. Yeah. I wanna, yeah, okay. Yes, Praying Circles mm-hmm. Around Your Marriage. And I will put the link on the streams on YouTube and Facebook and on the page so you can click through and get to Amazon and just do the one-click ordering like I do because I get my books super fast that way. And <laughs> yeah. you guys, you two, um, stay dry and warm there in D.C. And I hope to get to meet you at some some conference or something one day soon and shake you guys' hands and, and you know, kind of complete the circle since we've chatted. Yeah, now. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for your work in ministry. Thank you so much for coming on today, and we'll talk again soon. The book is Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. Joel and Nina Smidgel, they were fantastic. Um, And I'm always like half scared to ask if people can hold on because a lot of the guests that come on have – they're literally like I'm doing this interview at this time, and then I have two minutes, and then I have this interview – and sometimes their book's so close that they can't stay for another minute. But it was so nice of them to take the extra time, especially with their kids being off from school. So they've got like their schedules in flux. But that was really wonderful. Um, so I want to give you another little quick bite of super good news, which I loved uh, talking about a couple of days ago on the show. And I want to talk about it again, just briefly. Um, actually, I'm going to skip that audio and I'm going to talk about this this. 25 MS-13 gang members deported from a caravan. Now, here's why this is important. The the state of Mexico, the nation state of Mexico, deported these MS-13 gang members out of Mexico because they were hidden in amongst a caravan. Now, a lot of the caravans that have formed to come up through through the other South American countries to get to the United States have been broken up. Some by Mexican officials, some by, you know, there's different means by which the caravans can be broken up. But the point is, we've been told over and over again that there aren't any criminal elements there. There aren't any terrorists or any of that stuff. And this story proves that that's just not true. Not only are there terrorists and amongst these groups, and it doesn't have to be a ton of them. One terrorist is one terrorist too many, right? When these people are coming up and through and planning on getting here, they're not coming here um, so they can sing Kumbaya and, you know, dance the Macarena with us. They're coming here to deal drugs and kill people who want to, you know, stop them from dealing on their turf. 
So 25 MS-13 gang members were deported from the migrant caravan in Mexico. These, uh, they were revealed to be concealed within the caravan of 1,600 Central American migrants just across the U.S. border, immigration officials said on Tuesday. The caravan first arrived in Piedra Negras, Mexico, two weeks ago across the border from Eagle Pass, Texas, when officials from the Institute National of Migration, so the National Institute of Migration, Spanish, identified 10 gang members from the Mara Salvatruca, also known as MS-13. But after warehouse scuffles with police last week, officials discovered and deported 15 additional MS-13 agitators. And this is INM Media Deputy Director Aline Juarez speaking to Fox News. That's the quote from her. So this is important work that's being done at the border. And not only do we not need to dismantle ICE, we need to properly fund the organizations that are a part of our federal government that currently do the hard work that we Americans, only these agencies can do that work. And you know that's something coming from me because I'm a limited government person. But I believe in the constitutionally mandated uh, responsibilities and functions of the government and protecting the homeland is one of those. So Immigrations and Customs Enforcement agents deserve our respect and our prayers for their safety and for their effective completion of their work. And we should support the president's efforts to uh, maintain and increase the security that we currently are lacking at our southern border. So we are going to have so much more for you. Um, I will be live tomorrow instead of <laughs> not being here uh, because I'm not going to be in D.C., okay? <laughs> so, um, you know, the Lord has his way. I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being with us today and making your home at American Family Radio. If you're leaving us now, God bless. If you're sticking around, we have more for you after the news break from onenewsnow.com. God bless from the Heartland Citizens.